Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we, we thank you that you are slow to be angry with us. Father, we thank you that you are gracious and patient. And even in the life of a Mr. Hugh Stivers God, you were really patient. Eighty-two years of slowing to anger. God, I thank you that you're not like me, rather quick-tempered. Would have given up. Would have reacted harshly too soon. The way I am with my children. Father, you are a good father. You're so good to your children. And we worship you this morning, God, because of that. We see you afresh. We see you as our great God and Savior. We see you as glorious. We see Jesus as worthy. And Father, we ask that today, nothing else than the power of your word through the power of your Holy Spirit would change our lives, would increase our faith, that we might worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, please turn to Exodus chapter 11. Exodus chapter 11 is where we are. Last week was uh, chapter 10. We're going through the plagues here. Walking through the book of Exodus, not just preaching on the plagues, but going through the book of Exodus. And we have come to the place for the tenth plague. If you know anything about God and the book of Exodus and that great story where God frees His people from slavery, you know that it comes about through God exercising His power, showing His power and purpose to a hard-hearted people, particularly to a hard-hearted person, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And God has shown that through the blood, the frogs, the gnats, the flies... Then comes number five, the livestock dies through the boils, the hell, the locusts, the darkness to the eyes. Last comes number ten, the firstborn dies. And that's serious. Few things in all the world are as serious and heavy and difficult as the death of a child. But it's come to that point. And here today in Exodus 11, it's not the tenth plague. Um, It's a warning that the tenth plague is coming. And as I've said every week, the plagues are not just judgment. They're not God just punishing somebody. They are God working so that people would know who God is. If you don't know God... If you don't care to know God, if you're indifferent to God or you're mad at God, God is working and will continue working for you to know Him. Let not anybody boast, especially in His strength or in His wisdom or in His wealth, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he knows me and he understands me, that I am the Lord, the one who exercises loving kindness and judgment and righteousness. God wants us to know Him. 
God has not created you. God did not allow you to be born from your mother. God didn't allow your mother to be pregnant. That it would not be that you would know Him. God made you to know Him. He is worthy of that. Glorious of that. Deserving of that. And we are to know and love and worship Him. And when somebody doesn't, and when somebody is hard-hearted, He will dial it in on them to show them what He's like. Oftentimes, to their agreement, where they finally bow the knee, profess Christ, and say, I want to be saved. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with my good friend, Mr. Hugh Stivers, and we talked about the Lord Jesus, and he would say, I appreciate you, Josh, but I don't think so. Y'all, that's happened countless times. Till this past Tuesday, he said, I need to be forgiven of my sins. I want to know Jesus. I want to be saved. He said all those things. God, God will work and work and work and work. Ask Mr. Bob Samuels, how many times has he hung out with Mr. Hugh Stivers? Takes some time. And yet sometimes when God dials in on people, they respond with faith. And yet sometimes people do not. And even though God is, is dialing in on them to show them, some people will still harden their heart and say, no, I don't want to. Perhaps you're here today and you don't want to be here today. Perhaps you're here today and you just cannot wait for me to be done. I want you to know that God made you that you would know Him. That you would love Him. God wants you to know that He's good. Good for you. In our passage today, God gives a warning, a threat, if you will, that the final plague is coming. When I was in high school, growing up in Charlotte, North Carolina, we were only about three hours from Myrtle Beach. So it's really common for for teenagers on the weekend or or over the summer to just load up in somebody's car and drive to the beach. Whether you had a place to stay or not, you'd sleep in the car or or camp on the beach or something like that because it was only three hours and we would do that. And I remember... One time, being a, a senior in high school, we were going down, I think it was Labor Day weekend, and a group of us were going down to the beach, and my dad said, now when you get down there to Lumberton, Josh, I'm telling you, it's a speed trap. And if you take off going, like a little high schooler doesn't have any cares, like you're invincible, and you hit that speed trap, you're going to get a ticket. I'm just warning you. And that warning carried some weight because when I turned 16, a few years before, dad had said, Listen here, boy, as long as you're doing well in school, as long as you're playing sports, and as long as you don't get in any trouble, I'll pay your car insurance. But at the moment that any of those changes, not good in school, not playing sports, and, not, and, and, and getting in trouble, and one of those ways of getting in trouble would be a speeding ticket, I'll stop paying your car insurance. See, the warnings that my my good parents, my father and my mother, had placed in my life were very, very good for me. If you're a high schooler, you know paying that insurance is awful. They think people that are 16 can't drive. Those warnings were good. And they helped me. I remember coming over that hill... Going about 12 to 15 over the speed limit, you're supposed to be good at that rate, right? And seeing those blue lights ahead, not on me, but ahead, they already gotten somebody else. And I remember hitting the brake hard 
and dialing it in and thinking, oh my goodness, my dad warned me about those cocks, right? See, warnings and, and threats can be good for us. In our passage today in Exodus 11, God sends out a warning to all who would listen. And can I tell you here today that God is continually sending out warnings? Can I tell you here today that this church, with all of our shortcomings, is sending out a warning even now? If you believe in Jesus and turn from your sins, God will save you. God will forgive you of your sins. It is indeed possible that every person here today can go to heaven if you would believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus. But it is also reality, real talk, if you will, that if you will not believe in Jesus and turn your back on your ways, that you will not be saved. That's a warning. I I, I hope, I pray, we labor, that that would not be the case. That's a real, fair warning. If you don't believe in Jesus, there is no hope. None. Zero. Just a few weeks ago, I heard Mr. Hugh Stiver say, My health's declining so much, I don't want to live. If I can't work like I've always been able to, I don't want to live. I can't even do much anymore. I don't want to live. And can I praise Miss Dorothy Stivers this morning in that she did not say to him, you're okay? In great love, 63 years of marriage type love, she said to her husband who knows that he loves, that she loves him, and she said, you're not ready to die. You're not right with God. Folks, that's a warning. And praise God to the glory of His love and His grace that Mr. Hugh Stivers heeded the warning. Folks, we know too many people who act like warnings don't matter. Warnings are good for us. Read with me, if you will, at Exodus chapter 11. It's a short chapter. There's only ten verses here. The Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask. Every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great. In the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. 
From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the hand mill and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. John MacArthur, the great preacher, says, The great threat delivered by Pharaoh in chapter 10, verse 28, look if you will, it's the second to last verse of chapter 10. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me, take care, never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. Does everybody hear that? That was Pharaoh speaking to Moses. Moses, after the ninth plague of darkness, Pharaoh said, Moses, get out of here. I never want to see you again. You're ruining my life. And if I see you again, you will die. John MacArthur says that the great threat delivered by Pharaoh evoked one from God. The get away from Pharaoh to Israel and God's spokesman would be met by the get out from the Egyptians to Israel. Walk with me, if you will, starting in verse 1 as we walk through this passage. It begins with the Lord speaking to Moses. Pharaoh's not in the picture yet. God is now speaking to Moses. Moses has been God's spokesman ever since really the beginning of the book of Exodus. You remember the calling upon Moses' life when, 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 when Moses tried to say no and he offered up those four excuses. And the one was that, I just don't know how to speak well. Uh, and God says, no, I, I will do it all for you. You just be willing. And then Moses says, well, what am I going to tell them? I mean, who, who are you and, and what is your name? Because they're going to ask God, what is your name? And God says, tell them that I am sent you. I am who I am is who sent you. They will know. And so Moses says, okay, and, and that's the beginning. And now here at verse 1, God is speaking to Moses, telling Moses what's about to happen. He says, yet one plague more. Folks, up until this point, nobody knew how many plagues there were going to be. In hindsight, we always say that the ten plagues, right? But nobody knew there were going to be ten. They were just coming. One after another after another. And it was progressively getting a little bit worse. At first, it was just blood in the water. Just a big inconvenience. And frogs and gnats and flies. Then your cattle are dying. That's not necessarily hurting people, but it's hurting the economy. It's hurting food. It's hurting stuff like that. Then it got really bad. Boils. Hell that would kill everything. Locusts. And then finally, three days of darkness where nobody could leave the house. God had their attention. Something is majorly wrong. We've come to the last one. And God now says, one more. Moses knew that this period of God dealing with the Egyptians was coming to an end. 
Moses knew that this period of suffering, I want you to hear this if you're suffering. If life seems hard for you right now, if you don't get life right now, I want you to hear this. God's sovereign strong hand is in charge of that. Matter of fact, God's sovereign strength is what is upholding not only the suffering, but you in your suffering. He's not left you there so that you can say, I can't take it anymore. No, God has you. And if life is so unbearably hard for you right now, I want you to see verse 1. God says, just one more, Moses. And Moses, can you imagine? Moses had to know that he and all of his Pharaoh uh, uh, people, or all of his, sorry, uh, Israelite people are now thinking, it's almost over. This horrible period of our lives in slavery in Egypt where all we do is suffer and work, it's about to end. There's only one more. There's only a time period for your suffering, folks. And if that time period is the whole of your life here on earth, can I tell you that eternity is so much longer than your life on earth? It's just a speck. The Bible says that our lives are a vapor here today and gone tomorrow. That quick. If I was to show you how long eternity is, forever that way and forever that way, your 80 years on life right here is smaller than a speck of dust. Suffering is small. Paul would say this in Romans 8 when he says that, I know now that nothing on this earth, no suffering on this earth, compares to the glory that awaits us. Moses is reminded of that when he says one more. But you also know what we're reminded of when he says one more? That the strongest. Andrew Peterson says, the last was the worst. The death of the firstborn. Moses knows it's coming. It's coming now for the rebellious, hard-hearted Pharaoh. Folks, can can I tell you here today too, that for as hard... And difficult as life is, and for as miserable as life is, that if you die without the forgiveness of sins, it's only going to get worse. One commentator has said that for the unbeliever, this is the best it's ever going to get. And for the believer, This is the worst it's ever going to get. Matthew Henry says, Thus, after all the judgments executed upon sinners in this world, the hardships, still there is one more reserved to be brought on them in the other world, which will completely humble those whom nothing else would humble. In verse 1, God says to Moses, one more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Look what he says next. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Folks, I know a lot of times in this world we get to thinking that, that God's not quite as strong as He is and that we need people to do things. I heard somebody say this week when they were talking to someone that, can, can you make Jesus Lord? Will you make Jesus Lord? And I was reminded that, you, that nobody has to make Him Lord. Nobody can make Christ Lord. Jesus is Lord. Psalm 115 verse 3 says that our God is in the heavens and He does all He pleases. 
Psalm 135 verse 6 says, whatever the Lord pleases, that He does. Y'all, God is strong. You don't want to be found going against Him. Can you imagine if we could see into the little secret private rooms of Pharaoh? Can you imagine those discussions? Look, I don't care who they think they are. They're not going against us. We're never letting them go. We've got them in slavery. I don't care what they say or what that Moses says. I don't care what he says his God says. And Pharaoh going on and on. Look, I'm the king here. We're the most powerful country in the world. And what I say goes, and they're not going to stop us. You guys, you guys listening to me? And you can only imagine that that's the way Pharaoh was thinking. That's the only way he could have been thinking. For him to continue to say no, no, no. And do you hear the second half of verse 1? Listen here, Moses. Afterward, he will let you go. God knows they're about to be set free. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Notice that. What God is about to do is bring Pharaoh to the breaking point to which Pharaoh will say, everybody, everything, all of you, go and don't come back. God is about to make that happen. God is about to take the man who is so hardened that he will not say yes and make him say yes. Oh, the difference in the song of Hugh Stivers when I sat down in his house on Tuesday. That was a different man. God's about to do that to Pharaoh. Verse 2. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. God is about to reward them through all of the suffering. They have been miserable. They have been slaves treated harshly in Egypt. And now God is about to reward them. Remember, he has told them that he would. Verse 3, And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Folks, God is turning the tables here. These people have been a laughingstock. They have been embarrassed. They have been treated brutally by the the Egyptians. And now God is giving them favor there. The Egyptians like them. The Egyptians are being good to them. The Egyptians are helping them. God has turned the tables. Look what it says. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt. Moses is the one many times credited for all these plagues. All of their suffering. And yet they now honor him. They look up to him. He is very great in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Moses was great. God is indeed turning the tables. Pharaoh was a fanatical, destructive, hopeless man with a stance that was doing nothing but harm. And even his people now had come to realize we don't like that. You remember before on the eighth plague? When they came to him and they said, you're ruining our lives. Get these people away from us. Why are you still going against them, Pharaoh? Even Pharaoh's servants went against Pharaoh. And you see this here with the threat that now the the, the Israelites had favor in the Egyptians' eyes. Now Moses was considered very great. They loved him. They realized, hey, this guy's trying to help us. This guy's trying to help us get right with God. If you're here today and you're not right with God and you know it, can I assure you, despite what the world says, that when a loving, humble Christian tells you that you need Jesus, they're not trying to be a bigot or narrow-minded or harsh. They're not trying to be intolerant. They're trying to tell you what's real and what's true. 
And don't get me wrong, I know there's some rude, mean, arrogant Christians out there, and they need to shut up. But not everything that you say to somebody in love is wrong. Mr. Hugh Stivers, so many times with tears in his eyes, has stopped me as I'm walking out and says, Josh, thank you. I just said, hey, I'm going to get my kids. I'll meet you out in the sanctuary. We were back there getting ready. And I was halfway down the hall. He said, Josh, thank you. I've been telling him all along that he's wrong. In love and in humility. But I kept saying, Mr. Hugh Stivers, you, you can't. You can't keep denying Jesus. Y'all, I didn't, I didn't mean to hurt him. I wasn't trying to ruin his life or his marriage. I wasn't trying to mess him up forever. We were trying to help him. And he would say to this day, we did. God did. And I want you to see that Moses would go time and again to these people, to this king, and say, let us go. God says, let us go. You need to listen to God. And he would say, I don't care what your God says. And then he would punish them. And so then God punished him back. Nothing wrong there. There's nothing not loving there. There's nothing harsh there. That's what we see. Let's keep going. Verse 4. So now Moses speaks for God to Pharaoh. Verse 4. Thus says the Lord, God speaking, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt. Do you catch what it says there? Yeah, this is the first plague where God says, I got this one. Up until this point, it says the locusts are coming and the locusts are going to come and take over the land. Hey, I'm going to raise up. Moses is going to raise up my staff. And when I raise up the staff, that water is going to turn to blood. God turns around to the troops and says, Moses, tell Pharaoh, I got this one. I'm going to meet them. At midnight, they're going to deal with me. Folks, every one of us are one day going to have to deal with God. And He may be taking His time. You haven't had to deal with Him yet. I love the song that Emily and Kevin just sang. Lord, You are gracious. You are slow to anger. Abounding in love, you are good to all. But you will deal with God one day. May it not be too late when you finally do. Notice there in verse 4. About midnight, I will go out. I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. And the firstborn. So here's what he says. He's saying, I'm going to go at midnight and kill the firstborn. God says he's going to do that. And then he tells specifically what it's going to be. It's going to be the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne. It will also be the firstborn of the slave girl who's behind the handmill, referring to just a regular old mother. And then also the firstborn of the cattle. Even the cattle are going to feel this plague. In other words, God, like He never has before, 
is going to get Pharaoh and his people to see he is God. And that he is powerful and that they cannot go against him. God is not going to allow them to say, well, Moses is doing this. God is not going to allow them to say, well, there's some magic in his staff. They're going to only know God did this. And believe me, they know that it's because of their failure to listen to God. I know sometimes we assume it, but can I remind you that our real problem in the world is ourself and our sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And if you have sinned, then you will die. God's judgment upon them or punishment to them is not wrong. They've sinned against God. God made them for Him and they're not wanting that. They're not listening. They're not obeying. Matter of fact, they're disobeying. They're not hearing Him or listening to Him. And so that's the problem. Let's keep going though. Verse 6. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. Now, that's an understatement, right? Can you imagine if all of a sudden God came through Fairdale and killed every firstborn? First of all, I'm a firstborn. My son JJ's a firstborn. Not only the firstborn child, but the firstborn cattle. And can you imagine if God came and did that and we weren't thinking, oh, what was it? Was a tornado? What's happening? Are people sick? No, it was clearly God because God had told us. So when it happened, we knew it was God. Can you imagine the mourning? Can you imagine the tears? Can you imagine the, the devastation? See, sometimes when you, when you read the Bible and you don't spend a moment to think about it, you just read over this. Okay, they're going to be crying. No, they will be crying. You ever lost a loved one? You ever lost a loved one unexpectedly? You ever put them to bed and said, hey, boys, guess what? It's Memorial Day weekend. And tomorrow night, we don't have church. And Monday, you don't have school. And so we're going to play all day tomorrow night. What do y'all want to do? You want to go camping? You want to play t-ball? You want to go find a playground? Because that's what I said last night. And can you imagine if I went in their bedroom this morning and one of them was dead? That unexpectedly, that would create crying. This is what he's saying. But I want to show you something really neat. As I said, God has turned the tables. In Exodus chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, but listen, verses 7. It says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, the Israelites, who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land keeps going. Verse 9 says, And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. In chapter 3, God's people are in such suffering and such oppression in their slavery with Egypt that they are crying out to God, and God hears their cries. Well, God, being the only true Savior, has completely turned the tables. And in chapter 11... It is not God's people who are crying out. Their suffering has ended or is about to end. But it is the people of God who have rejected Him who are now crying. You ever heard people ask, and they shouldn't, 
But you hear people ask, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do I keep trying to do good and my life's hard and I see people out there not trying to do good and they just seem to be all happy-go-lucky, everything's good for them. Can I, I promise you that God will turn the tables one day? Can I assure, assure you from the Word that one day all of our suffering will end and we'll be with God forever? And for those who seem to have no suffering now, yet do not trust in Christ, God will turn that. Hebrews says it is a fearful, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We must be ready. And here at verse 6, their crying out is like the crying out that the people of Israel had. And yet now it's on them. Because all of their firstborns are going to die. Let's keep going. Verse 7. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. This is an interesting verse. Not even a dog. You know, back then there weren't too many dogs as pets. That... Uh, they, they saw dogs as, as very, very, very simple. It's like the, the simplest uh, animal that you would find around people. And what God's saying here is just that when turmoil and suffering is on the Egyptians, my people will be so protected. No, their firstborn's not going to die. No, they're not going to be suffering. There won't even be a dog barking at them. There won't even be a dog attacking them or growling at them. They will be at peace. So why is that going to happen? Look at the end of verse 7. Because so that you may know. Do you see that? God seems to say this over and over again in Exodus. So that you may know that there is a distinction between His people and those who aren't His people. I know that with hypocrisy in churches. And I know that with the struggles of Christian people and our sins, that it may be pretty blurry to at times recognize the distinction between the people of God and the not people of God. I understand. But let me please assure you that that doesn't mean that there's not one. There's two types of people in the world. Those that love God and those that don't. There is a distinction. Can I ask you which one you're on? Can I ask you which side you're on? Are you a child of God or are you not? Have you listened to the warning? I remember a story that an older lady in our church tells me. She was up at church working one day. It was about 40 some years ago. She's up at church working some day and her children were acting up. And she warned them and she warned them and she warned them. They ain't listen. That happens in churches, right? Kids acting up, not listening to their parents. So then she told them. She said, I want you all to walk home. And I mean all the way home. Walk home. They live way down there on like Mansley. And when I get home, after I get done what I'm doing here, I want to find all four of your fannies laid right there on the bed and you're getting a spanking. She finished doing what she had to do here. She went home. Guess what was on the bed? Four rear ends. They listened. They knew that you don't want what's coming. 
if you don't listen. Folks, please hear the word of God today. God's not punishing us right now. But if you won't listen to him, he will. If you won't be loved by him, he will. And he's telling Pharaoh this. Look back at verse 7. That you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Verse 8. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, get out, you and all the people who will follow you. Imagine this. Moses says, Pharaoh, here's what's going to happen. Your people are about to come and bow down to me. You're about to come and bow down to me. And after that, I will go out. And, And Moses is done speaking. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. And the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So yet Pharaoh's heart is going to be hardened. He's not going to listen. This tenth plague is going to happen. It could have been prevented if Pharaoh would listen, but Pharaoh's not going to listen. That's what he's saying here. Verse 10, the last verse. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. Now, somebody might ask, well, why not? Well, God has already told us that he's not going to until the full plagues have happened so that we will see. Now, if you know the story, you know that what's about to come next week in chapter 12 is the Passover. God's going to say, before I do this, here's how every one of you can be saved. If you'll listen to me, if you'll believe and then do this in faith, then I will not kill your firstborn. And I'm saying to you here, that if you will believe in Christ, you will not face the judgment. In John chapter 3 it says, whoever believes in Jesus will not be condemned. John chapter 5 says, whoever believes in Christ will escape the judgment. There is going to be a judgment at the last day when you stand before God. And if you believe in Him in John chapter 5, like John chapter 5 says, you will miss the judgment. I want to close by asking you to look at Acts chapter 5. No, sorry, Acts chapter 24, sorry. Acts chapter 24. If you would, please turn there. This is the very end. We're going to wrap this up, but I want you to see this very thing. Acts chapter 24. Paul is now under arrest. The great missionary preacher, Apostle Paul. They've got him on trial. They've got him before the leaders. They've got him before the governor. They're wanting to see what he's saying. What are you doing? Why, why are you spreading this? Why, why are people following you? Why are you planting churches? Why are you bringing all this attention to Jesus? Why is there an uproar? All of that's going on. And then he gets to deal with most excellent Felix. Look at verse 22. But Felix having a rather accurate knowledge of the way. So he knows pretty good what Christianity is. The way was another name for Christianity. And he knows pretty good what Christianity is. He put them off saying, when Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. He's not deciding yet. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty. So he's going to be nice to Paul now. He's listening to what Paul's preaching about Jesus, and he's going to be nice to him. And he says... 
and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. So even though Paul is, is, is under arrest, his friends are allowed to come, allowed to come and talk to him. They're giving Paul some liberty now. Now, look at this. Verse 24. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul. And he heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. Notice this. Felix has brought his wife and he's asked for Paul to come and explain the way of Jesus Christ. Come and tell me about this God who came to earth. Come and tell me about the sinless one who died. How does that happen? How is that possible? Come and tell me how this God man who died on the cross has any bearing upon my life. Come and tell me why this is good news. Come and tell me how I can be right with God. And Paul, who we never have known to be short of breath, Paul takes it. Now look at verse 25, and I want you to see verse 25. And as he reasoned, okay, so they're discussing the way of Jesus. What did he reason about? Righteousness? Are you right with the way you've lived, or are you not? Self-control, one of the biggest problems that you and I all deal with, one of the clearest ways to see our sins is the lack of self-control in areas of our life. Whether that be addiction to porn, maybe that be lazy, maybe that you watch too much TV, maybe that you don't know how to stop eating, maybe that's that you work too much. Self-control is an issue that you and I deal with, and it's a sin. So he's dealing with Felix on this. Now look at the third one. And the coming judgment. Hey, there's a lot of people these days who think, we can't preach Exodus. We can't preach the plagues, Josh. What if there's some guests here today that hear you preach on the tenth plague about how God's going to come and kill a baby? Folks, God's going to come and kill everybody if they're not right with Him. Not because He's mean, but because we're wrong. And this is what Paul in the New Testament tells Felix. He reasoned with him about the coming judgment. Now, look what it says next. Felix was alarmed. Folks, that's good. Paul told him that a judgment's coming. And Felix went. You know what it means to be alarmed, right? He woke up, he got his attention. He turned his eyes toward God. He started thinking about God. Now, he's not saved here yet. But the warning of righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment alarmed him. Folks, can we hear the warning today from Exodus 11 that a final plague is coming? There will be one more. Can we hear today that God has given us a warning and that we must be right with God? When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, He was satisfying the wrath of God. The Bible says that. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, He was satisfying the, the wrath of God. The, the anger that God has towards, towards somebody that's rebellious and disobedient, listen, goes away when they are in Christ. Hey, there's two types of people in the world. There are people that God is going to bring His judgment on because they're not forgiven. And there are people, listen, that God doesn't want to bring His judgment on. That God will not bring His judgment on because of what Christ has done. He is a Savior. He loves us.
And if you'll believe in Him today, you'll be His. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for Exodus 11. And thank you, God, for warnings. And thank you, God, especially for the fact that by your grace, a warning can alarm us. Father, I pray that today, many of us, all of us, would be alarmed at the idea of not being right with you. God, I pray that there would be people here today who would say, Josh, I don't want to go anymore not ready. Father, I thank you that even someone like a Hugh Stivers would bow his heart and his knee to believe in Christ. Father, I pray now that you would cause our hearts and minds to hear and to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we